How many times have you looked back and you've said this? Maybe not verbatim, but close. Okay, God, now I see what you were up to. Now I see it. So often in the middle of the transition, so often in the middle of God stretching us in that crisis of belief to take us to that next place, so often in the middle of that, we're not sure. And so what happens so often for so many of us is that we're in the middle of that transition of God doing something in our lives and we stop because we look at it instead of going through it. Looking at it paralyzes us. Going through it, we walk through it by faith and we may not know what it's supposed to look like till we get to the other side. And it may not look like anything what we thought it was going to look like. Nineteen ninety, minding my own business, if that's ever possible for me, but I was trying to. Jan, myself, Harlan, our nephew, and Sydney was four years old. We went to Chicago for a vacation. September. There really was no no mission trip, no purpose to even going there to get any type of spiritual insight. Just there to go to Wrigley Field, Comiskey, and then we're going to, old Comiskey, it was the last year Comiskey was going to be open, so it was the old Comiskey Park, and then we were going to go to St. Louis, and it was the old, uh, the St. Louis Stadium there, and so Bush Stadium, and so that was our trip. I'm sure Jan and Sydney were all excited about it, but Harlan and I were, I will say that. We were really excited about it, because we had never been, I'd, I'd never, I don't think I'd been to Chicago at that point, been there many times since then. So we went to Wrigley, and it was great. But one of the things we noticed there, and I grew up, I say I grew up, we lived in Texarkana. I didn't grow up there. But I had lived in Dallas before, but I had never really seen homeless people in the sense that people dumpster diving, people digging food out of trash. I'd never seen it. So we were around Wrigley and saw a little bit of that. And I thought, that's, that's interesting. And even though I'd been around big cities, didn't really notice that before. So then we went to Comiskey and of course, it was awesome sitting out and on the down the right field line and sitting there looking, going, and I'm sitting there and it looks like like ten coats of paint uh, up on. The, I don't know if we have it. We have a picture of Okamiski. I don't think we have that up there. And, uh, and I was sitting down the right field line, right right over in there. You can see me. No, it's not when I was there. I don't. I don't know when it was taken. But sitting down that right field line, up and up a little bit up in there, and I'm thinking, Babe Ruth played right there. Babe Ruth was right there. <laughs> What I didn't know was, that was a big event for me, going Comiskey, Wrigley, even though I'm not, a, obviously, I'm, a, I'm, a, not obviously, I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan, so obviously the Cubs are our arch enemy, except they used to not win, so it's kind of hard to have that, that they, <laughs> it's kind of hard to have a rivalry when the other team never wins, but anyway, that's beside the point. I thought it was a big week for me as a baseball fan. Until I walked out of that stadium. Going down this street here, I think almost to that traffic light here, somewhere in there, maybe not even that far. 
And there was this young black man standing there. I don't know how old he was, teenager, I think. Skin burnt. Had a bucket on his arm, no hand. And just had, you know, please give me my, I can't remember exactly what it said. But I took some money out of my wallet, put it in the bucket. Jan was with me, like right next to me. Then Harlan and Sydney were walking. Jan and I walked probably another 30 or 40 yards, I don't know, 30, 40 feet, excuse me, and we just looked at each other, and both of us had tears rolling down our eyes. It had never happened to us like that. Nothing had ever, it struck both of us in the same moment. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what God was doing. I just went on vacation. We went on to St. Louis on the way back. We did that. But it wouldn't go away. It wouldn't go away. Something had been opened up in me because one, I was willing, I think, but the other was I was in a situation where I I saw it. I've said this to you over and over. When God gives you, when when he he awakens you, you begin to have spiritual eyes to see what you wouldn't see before. I went back, told my friend Jack Martin about what we were sensing, Jan and I were sensing, and and she said, well, he, he, well, he said, he said, well, Kurt, I need to take you to see a friend of mine. He's up in North Little Rock. He said, I need to take you to see him. He said, because I think what you, because I brought it up to Jack multiple times. And finally Jack said, we need to go. Because I'm working at Alumax Max at the time. Jack's our youth pastor, full-time youth pastor. We drive up to North Little Rock. Another couple, Jack and Rita, his wife, and Jan and I. And we spend most of the day at Friendly Chapel Church of the Nazarene, which many of you in here already know about, and have some have you, many of you in here have been there. But we met Brother Paul Holderfield that day, and Sister Barbara, and many, most of you here who know Friendly Chapel know Paul Jr., but I had the opportunity to know Paul Sr., and I love his quote there. And then somebody had asked him something, he responded. He said, Richard, I decided if I was going to be accused of being a Christian, there would be so much evidence all over North Little Rock I'd be guilty beyond a shadow of a doubt. They wouldn't even have to have a trial. And that's how he lived his life. Now, he died in 1998, but that meeting, I didn't know going on vacation to Chicago that a young man that I will not know, I hope hope someday I'll see in heaven that I'll never see again, opened up something in me that opened up something for me to go meet this man that has opened something up in you who've been there. You don't know, do you? But if God's stirring something, don't try to push it away. If God's opening up something, don't try to go, stop, stop, I don't want, no. Because you don't know. It could be bad, and you're trying to get around it, and God's saying you're going through it. You won't know till you go through it. You won't know me the way I want you to know me till you go through it. We spent probably four to five hours, I don't know how much, I, I, I don't remember exactly, in fall of 1990, with Brother Paul and Sister Barbara, 
And being a part of the Church of the Nazarene at that point, I'd been a part of the Church of the Nazarene at that point probably a year and a half, maybe a year, and hearing the term entire sanctification or Christ-likeness or or perfect heart, and it comes, if you're from the Wesleyan faith, you would understand that term, and I'll come to that in just a minute. But I had never met anybody until I met, where'd he go? He's up there. Put him back up there. Just a second, John. I'd never met anybody that I truly believed really exuded it, and, and, and it was almost like it was dripping off of them like it was Brother Paul. Jan and I walked, walked home. We drove home. We walked in our house that night, just the two of us, when we lived in Hooks, and we walked in, and we confessed things to each other that night that we had never confessed before. It was crazy. Actually, we got into kind of a little fight. You would think we'd had one of the best days ever, but because we were around him, he never said go home and confess anything to each other, but because we were around a man that we felt like was walking with Christ so close, we couldn't help it. It's crazy. Have you ever been around people who just get it? They get it. Somehow or another, their courage is greater. Their influence is deeper. Their concerns are broader. Their compassion more genuine. It's, you can almost touch it. Their convictions are more concrete. You know they're not wavering. And their relationship with God infuses every area of their life. They stand out in a crowd. And it's not because, Brother Paul was probably 5'8", five, 5'9", five, not because he was 6'4", good-looking, He's good looking, I don't have any problem with that. He couldn't hardly read. When he would go, now, when he, when he would preach, he'd go, Mama, won't you stand up and read that scripture for me? Because he didn't want to read it in public. He wanted her to read it. And if you ever saw his notepad for his notes for his sermon, it was just big O, and you couldn't, you couldn't read it. Actually, you really couldn't hardly read it. But man, he could tell stories. And draw you in. He didn't have the title. But you asked the people in Little Rock. They said the number one thing that's changed North Little Rock is Friendly Chapel moving in there. And <laughs> not government programs. It's feeding hundreds a day. It's buying up drug houses and tearing them down. Or remodeling and selling them back to the people at 0% interest. And letting them pay it off in five years. That's what changed the community. Where we've said often, if renovation was gone tomorrow, would the community weep? And I don't think so. I think they would actually cheer possibly because now we get that four and a half acres back in our little community. But I can tell you one place that if the church was gone tomorrow, the community would weep. What makes it different? What makes this so different? The scripture is a record 
of God searching. Well, it's not, he's not searching for courageous people because often they are not. As I'm reading through my and reading through Judges this last week, and of course, part of Judges you get excited about, and part of you going, man, I, I don't want to read that again, ever again. <laughs> Please don't make me preach on that. <laughs> but you read of Gideon. There's nothing about him courageous. Looking for the courageous, Right? Or what he is looking for in men who are reading Ruth this morning. He's looking for obedience. He's looking for people who are willing to have their lives transformed, not because they're already courageous, but they will become courageous when they're walking in step with him. We talk about it all the time here, or when I say all the time, a lot in the five C's. And we wonder how do we get over to that farthest five C, the compel, where we're focused and intentional. And then we got this holy discontent, and we have this mantra in our lives, whether we say it or not, that, that this is not going to happen on my watch. They're all in. And some of the things God may be stirring you to do is, it may even be irrational, may not make any sense. But man, again, Scripture's full of that, right? History's full of God stirring people to do things that make no sense in the moment. They don't realize it, and many of the others don't realize it until later. But I want to clarify something. There's a huge difference between momentary courage and moral courage. I know a lot of people would take a bullet for someone who would dive into deep water, whether they know how to swim great or not, to try to save someone, to run into a burning building to try to get someone out. And those are awesome. I do not minimize that in any form or fashion. That's momentary courage. But then there's moral courage. Moral courage empowers you to live a life worthy worthy of being emulated. Both kinds of courage are important. But the first one can be had without the second. The second is the most profound because it affects and infuses Every area of a person's life. Moral courage. Uncommon. Rare. Irreplaceable. Useful. For going on a trip, today we've moved. We've moved to the route. Blind spot is about figuring out, uh, location is, uh, is about figuring out, blind spot and built to run about where we are right now, what is going on right now. <clears throat> but route is how are we going to begin to get there? How are we going to get to ethos, which is always Christ's likeness? How are we going to get there? Well, the first one is what we're going to talk about today, and that is 
walk in front. And walk in front, and it comes from the military term, but it's a phrase we use, he who walks in front walks closest to death. And describes, I believe, the most common trait in great influencers. Again, it's a military term, or taking point man, and many, those of you who've been in the military, or if you haven't, you probably know what the point man, you see them out in the jungle or going down the streets of uh, urban warfare. They're the ones out front. But they're out front, not for the hate of the enemy in front of them, but for the love of the people behind them. It takes great courage because they're always in the most exposed position. And I believe, and I'm going to take a Malcolm Gladwell phrase here, I believe what we're going to talk about today is going to be the tipping point, whether you do it today or not, whenever you do it in your life, or you may never. It is a tipping point. And a tipping point is this. The moment of critical mass, the threshold or the boiling point that Malcolm Gladwell talks about. And it is that point where there's a buildup and then there's a point where it tips. Where a person's life, things have built up to that point. They know God has shown them, God has stirred in them, God has built up to this point, but now all of a sudden there's a tipping point. And it could even be for some of you, as we talk about over and over, is that Henry Black would be crisis of belief. It's kind of the same thing. But especially this today, what we're going to talk about today. And there's two glaring traits of a person who I believe is walking front, and they come out of the life of Jesus, so hang in there if you go, I don't understand. No, stay with me. Because I think you'll go, yep, that's right. The first one is this. People who walk in front understand understand and submit or commit to the mission. They understand or submit or commit to the mission. As I prayed with John and Kristen last night around communion as I did their wedding, I said to him, John, God's called you to be a walk in front. (laughs) To lead your family. You submit and commit to the covenant and things that you're making here today. Obviously, it goes for Kristen too. If you are the point man or point woman in a situation, you'd better know your mission and you better commit to it because people are counting on you. You do not live your life in a vacuum. What you do or don't do matters. Jesus knew his mission. He came to seek and save those who were lost. He came to do the Father's will. Father, not my will, but your will. He didn't come to be the earthly king, and that would have been easy. He could have called in legions of angels. But Jesus came to show what life in the kingdom 
could look like. Not to modify how the world did things. Matter of fact, when Jesus left, the world got worse. Uh, would you agree? He didn't, he didn't, oh, now everybody's going to do different. No. But what he came for, those who would believe in him, he did set the example for how life could look. He, made a, he was a model. He was an influencer. I know this is going to sound crazy to you, right? If you don't know the purpose for which God has called you, it is impossible to know whether you're doing it or not. I know that's profound. But if you don't know why you're here on earth, you don't know specifically why God has called you specifically, how do you know if you're doing it right or not? Second one is they serve or sacrifice whom they have asked to follow them. They serve and they sacrifice for whom they have asked to follow them. We see it in Jesus, not only in the cross and the foot washing. We see it in Jesus. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. Jesus, again, is our example. I think when you've truly been born again, and I don't mean you're not born again, but I mean when it begins, begins to infiltrate almost every part of your life. Something inside of you compels you to constantly move from self-centered living to servant sacrificial living. I love N.T. Wright's statement on, you know, on being born again, if you will. And it says, he's talking about Jesus, says, now that I'm here, God's new world is coming to birth. And once you realize that, you'll see that these are the habits of the heart which anticipate that new world here and now. These qualities, purity of heart, mercy, and so on, are not, so to speak, things you have to do to earn a reward or a payment. Nor are they merely the rules of conduct laid down for new converts to follow. They are, in themselves, the signs of life, the language of life, the life of new creation, the life of the new covenant, the life which Jesus came to bring. That's what it is. The idea of sacrifice may be foreign to, foreign to us, but we know we're willing to sacrifice. I see people willing to sacrifice their children to do things that, that are detrimental to them and their children. I've seen it. Oh, we, we, we sacrifice, but I'm going to tell you this. If we're creating the image of God, the whole thought behind sacrifice is stamped on our being. And once we open it up and once we're un that's unleashed, something beautiful happens. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as living 
sacrifices, living. Not just willing to take a bullet, which is great, but a living sacrifice, which is harder in some ways, because that means every day, it's gotta infuse my life every day and every thought and every moment. A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God, that is your reasonable act of worship, no longer conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed, morpho, from a caterpillar to a butterfly, what you were designed to be, what you are now, but what you were designed to be in the first place, this beautiful thing, being transformed by the renewing, by the reprogramming, by a new way of thinking, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That word then means everything above it needs to happen. Everything previous needs to happen or you ain't going to understand the rest of this. And I think most of us in here, most people I know, want to know God's good and pleasing, perfect will. Most people I know. At least they'll say it. God's love is unconditional. But so many of his promises, most of all of his promises in Scripture are conditional. A term we use in the Church of the Nazarene is called entire sanctification. In 1 Thessalonians, we get that from The entire sanctification, and it's not just us as the Wesleyan faith, but it's very, really very narrow in description and function because sanctification means to be set apart for God's use. Can you imagine if your phone was set apart for God's use? If your TV watching was set apart for God's use? That every hour, every day was set apart for God's use? Last night, I changed my watch. I wore a different watch, more a little more of a dress watch, if you will, whatever you want to call it, instead of my, my Iron Man Defend Dog watch. It almost <laughs> Defend Dog, <laughs> dog Repellent. No. Side story, I got attacked by a dog on the mountain hiking, and I threw my arm up, and the dog bit my watch, of all things, and his teeth went right on my watch. So that's my Dog Repellent watch. But my point is this. So when I went to bed last night, I took my dress watch off, and I forgot to put this one back on. And I woke up this morning. I have this tendency to wake up at like 4 in the morning and be wide awake for whatever reason. Good sleep for about 5 or 6 hours, but wide awake. And I was laying there going, I don't know what time it is. That's a weird feeling. Because even if you don't know what time it is, it's still that time. That's deep. And for some people around this country, time changed on them, right? (laughs) I thought it was 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm going, man, I'm going to have to lay. I'm wide awake, man. I don't want to get up. I don't want to. I'm going to have to go in there and get in a recliner and see if I can get comfortable there and all this. I get up and go in there, and it's 6 o'clock. So I slept like seven and a half hours. It has nothing to do with what I'm telling you here, but just wanted you to know that. You know, many people will say, 
that certain things happen when they were sanctified or filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and I, I, I don't argue with that because I think certain things do happen with people. And it could be gifts, there could be experiences. But I don't think that's the norm because I think this, the whole point of entire sanctification, Wesley said, Wesley, John Wesley was asked, uh, you know, define holiness. And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. That's defining holiness. That's not some experience or some big thing happening. Now, that can happen. But it's not necessarily the norm. But one of my mentors said, it, it, he added this to it. It's the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to love your neighbor as yourself. But he put on the front of it, dying out to the self-centered self to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. You start with dying out to the self-centered self. So what's the difference between salvation and sanctification? Salvation, I may obey God, but I don't really want to. Still selfish. Sanctification, freedom. Where I really do want to. I really want to follow after God. I really want to do what he says. I may not be doing it, but I want to do it. I've consecrated all my life. I've set my life down. I've set every piece of my life, every part of the house. Everything is on the altar, so to speak. Everything is consecrated. I may not always do it well, but I want to. And salvation primarily deals with, with what, we, what we do and what sins we have committed when you're concerning sin. It's dealing with that. Sanctification deals with why we sin in the first place. Sanctification deals with the very nature of why we do what we do. And again, look how beneficial. Instead of having to always ask for forgiveness because of something I've done, but I don't know why, what if you started dealing with the why and maybe, just maybe, you won't continue to do something you have to keep asking for forgiveness or... Because the question becomes, and you, many of you have heard this question so many times, but can I really only reach a point where I just manage my, my past, my open wounds and strongholds or habits, or can I reach a point where God changes me and I really am over it and I don't want to do it? I don't just quit eating the garbage. I quit having a desire for the garbage. Psalm 51, 10 through 12. King David, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take, me, or, or, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain it. David didn't just ask for forgiveness, and you can go back and read all that. He didn't just ask for forgiveness, which is critical for all of us, but he knows it's a slippery slope because if only that I have forgiveness, I very well may do it again. I need a new heart. I need to be renovated. I need to be restored back to why I was doing this in the first place. I need to be filled with the Spirit to give me the power to have dominion over what's been having me in bondage all my life. What if you were built for a 1985 Corvette and you've just been convinced you're supposed to be a 73 Pinto station wagon? Right? 
The enemy wants you to believe that. You're built to run. We're not just talking about just fixing you up and throwing a little bit of coat of paint. We're talking about a renovation. Matthew 16, 24, 25, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. The world says, find yourself. Scripture says, and Jesus says, find yourself crucified. We're not talking about suicide here. Back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Many would take a bullet to lay down their life. But a living sacrifice... That means every day for those we have influence over. Every day. We're all at different places, and we will always be at different places. But the question is not what rung you're on question really is have you decided you don't want to go to another wrong why are you still on this wrong why are you still on that whatever that is now it may be just God getting you ready and getting you steady because he's about to move you not against that the question you're just going that's far enough That's why so many are capped. Of the Barna study that we've shown many times here, and I think I don't think we have, but here's the thing that is so interesting to me on this is the reason why I've only brought it up now. Because you see number six and seven. When I met Brother Paul... I met a man and a woman who I believe had experienced this. And they moved to number eight. And they moved to number nine. And they moved to number 10. But when Barna did his study, just look at the percentage of people that ever reached that. I don't know where that is on the ladder. But I want to know. And I may not know till later. I may not. And you may look at that and go, Kurt, I really don't want seven through ten. Okay. I prayed that prayer years ago in 1989 after a long journey, and I won't share with you right now my journey, and I will someday if you want to know it. 
and I have shared it here before, how I ended up understanding this because I wanted more. I kept saying, God, if there's more, I want more. I'm going to tell you, you start praying that right now, you'll find more. Just start praying that. But what I didn't know was the journey to Christ's likeness, when I consecrated my life, the best I understood it in 1989 at the altars of Texarkana First Church of the Nazarene at Richmond and Robinson Road. I had no idea what I was praying. I had no idea where God was taking me. I had no idea what he would have to, what I would have to go through to become what he wants me to be. Because there are often times in this last 30 years that I have said, God, I will never, ever quit believing you, but I don't want this. I don't want to be crucified anymore. I don't want to die to self anymore. I don't like this. You can have that. I've been there. As your pastor, I've been there. But when the Holy Spirit comes in its full force, there is a sense of urgency and there is a sense that I no longer represent Kurt Gentry anymore or just represent Renovation Church, which is great. I represent the kingdom of God. And I may not always have the courage to do what I need to do, but I need to have the faith that God will somehow or another give me the courage and, and the power to do what I need to do. And I may do it not exactly like he wanted me to, but I think if my heart is right and my desire to please him is right and to serve others, I think he'll work with me. So I think he's looking for a willing and obedient heart. He's not just looking for sacrifices. I think I can back that up scripturally. And what I realize is how I begin this journey and even where I am right now in this journey How I finish may even surprise me. God, I hope at 62 years old, he can still go, okay, Kurt. You still praying that prayer, boy? Okay, you're my son. Still praying that prayer? Are you still praying it? Are you faking it? Because I know you meant it at one time. I appreciate that. And we've done some cool things together. But do you still mean it? Do you really still mean that? That you'll let me form you and shape you and send you? Do you really still mean that? I said last week, spiritual maturity is never defined by doctrinal knowledge or seniority in an institute or a title or past experience necessarily. Spiritual maturity is defined by the gap between understanding and obedience. If you got it, then you did it. You're considered a mature follower of Jesus Christ. No doubt. There's a, I believe the first six months I was saved, 
I had become a full-blown follower, a mature follower of Jesus Christ of what I knew. Did you catch what I said there, though? I wasn't responsible for what I didn't know. But what I was responsible for was what I knew. And what I knew two years into that was I wasn't getting all of what God had. Jesus, I went on the search and the journey going, Lord, if there's more, I want more. But if this is all there is, I'm taking my 10% back, and I'm taking my Sunday mornings, most of them back, and I'm going to go about my business, my ticket is punched. But if there's more, I want more. Walk in front. It's not a weekly, once a week. It is moment by moment. How do we do that? Man, I, you, and most of you know me well enough. We could preach a whole series around entire sanctification. For sure. And maybe we should do that soon. Because I believe the answer to what's going on in the world is Jesus Christ and living into the fullness of what he has for his people. And when we minimize that by willing to just get a small fraction of it and we know there's more, we hurt the advancement of the kingdom. We just do. I'm confessing. I'm not trying to put anything on anybody here. I'm just confessing. When we know what's right and we don't live into it, we know it, the damage that does for the kingdom How? Again, there's a lot we could talk about here. But the first one, I believe, is do you even see the need for holiness? Do you even see the need for it? Because <laughs> if you don't, I will say this, and I believe this is 100%. If you don't see the need for it, I'm not sure how far you'll ever get up the ladder. I'm not saying you won't get up one rung, but you won't be up in here. You won't ever get here. You won't ever get where it's so narrow and you start getting focused and you're back to the five C's where, it's, where you're focused and you're intentional and you know where you're headed and you're not letting a lot of other things come in and mess with your head. You're focused and you're locked in. You'll never get there. You'll never get there. I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. I'm just saying you won't live into the fullness we talked about a while ago with N.T. Wright. You won't live into that fullness. You just never will. I am confident of that. So do you, do you see the need for holiness? To offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God. Do you see the need for that in your home? Do you see the need to be able to have power over sin in your life? Do you see the need to have power to be able to articulate Christ's likeness in relationships? Do you see the need for it in our community? Do you see the need for it in our world? Do you see the need for it? Because if you don't, okay. We want you here. We love you. We're for you. But never question what we teach here. It is this message. And our goal and, and, our, local, and our destination is always Christ-likeness. And Christ-likeness is never going to be into its fullness without holiness. 
Without holiness, Scripture says, you will not see God. Scripture says, be holy for I am holy. Not perfect, but obedient into what you know. I could show you my cell phone today and say, look at that phone right there. It works exactly the way it's supposed to. But if you looked at it, it's got a cracked screen, got dents all over it. It's not perfect, but it works exactly the way it's supposed to. Well, maybe more than it because it dominates my life too much. But outside of that, the actual function of it. We're not perfect without dents and scratches and all that kind of stuff. But your, your desire is to be everything God wants you to be. And yes, I am beating this drum a little longer than I was planning on. I'm four minutes and 45 seconds over. But the Razorbacks lost yesterday, so I don't have anything until this afternoon. <laughs> I don't know what you got going on. I preach salvation messages. But I don't know if I ever preach a more important message than what I'm trying to preach to you and teach to you right now. Because without holiness... No one will see God. A couple other things. Are you hungering and thirsting for it? Are you willing to offer your whole life, consecrate your life to lay it down and say, I don't even know what this means, Lord. But I'm laying it all down. And by prayer and faith and by God's grace, you begin to walk it out. Just would you come down as we close? I'm going to just give it a moment here. When I heard, not exactly this message, obviously, in 1989 by a, I'd heard the message multiple times by our pastor, and I have no idea whether I was ready or not ready, or he didn't articulate articulate it well, or whatever the issue was, and that may be the case for me today, about this whole idea of laying down your life. There was an evangelist that came to Texarkana First Nazarene. And somehow or another, whether it's in revival, whatever that sense was, or he articulated in a way that finally my, the light went on. My growth in my faith exponentially grew post-consecration and sanctification. Matter of fact, I think most people's growth is pretty limited. We can say it all day long but not willing to lay it down. Every relationship, every dollar you've got, every asset you've got, every bit of day planner you've got, every, everything. So much of what we do in life is amoral, neither good nor bad, and that's okay. But it's what we do with it 
That's what we do with it. Would you stand? I would love to teach more about the Holy Spirit than John 3. You've never seen the wind, but you've seen the effects of the wind. (laughs) You may not have ever seen the Holy Spirit, but you've seen the effects of the Holy Spirit. So today, this day, as a walk in front, he who walks in front walks closest to death. And the way we talk about death here is dying out to the self-centered self. To love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's to be a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing unto God. And let God figure out the rest of it. <laughs> you, just, you just commit. Let him figure out the rest of it. Because it may not look anything like you think it's going to. Lord, help us right now as our folks contemplate. I pray your spirit in their lives and not me fast talking or loud talking, but you. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit loves us so much and you love us so much you will not leave us where we are. We thank you for that today. Lord, have your way. We pray this in your name, Jesus. If you feel led today, you can come and pray around these altars. It's Josiah and Levis.